Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you've just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today I have Wally Carmichael, a fellow veteran, 25 years, and now he's crushing it in life. How's it going, Wally? Good, man. How you doing? Great. i not getting Texas weather's kicking my butt, though. So I don't know. What, <laughs> it doesn't know which way it wants to go, up or down. So Where in Texas are you? Uh, North Texas, right next to Oklahoma. So, oh, okay. Which, okay. I haven't which tall... been up that far. I've yeah, lived which... in El Paso, San Antonio, and Colleen. Uh, yeah. So, you know, they always said, well, I went to basic training in, in El Paso, actually, Fort Bliss, years ago when they did it there. But it's like, yeah. like they always say, if you don't like the weather, just wait a few minutes. I'm learning <laughs> that real quick. I've only been down here for a year and a half, and it's mm. just, I've never, like, wow, 80 degrees one day, 30 degrees the next. It's like, absolutely interesting. So if you want to uh, just explain, I mean, why did you join the military? Well, to be quite frank, you know, I'm one of those guys that I joined the military uh, kind of out of more necessity than anything. Uh, a couple of things. I was in an environment that wasn't, uh, let's just say, uh, some of my peers ended up in orange jumpsuits uh, or no longer with us, uh, quite frankly. Um, so I had to get out of a toxic environment. I was working two full-time restaurant jobs at the time. My uncle came home. He was a first sergeant at the time. He came home on leave. And he's like, hey, you know, I, I ran out of money for college, so I dropped out of college and then went to work for these restaurants, trying to get my way back into college. And my uncle said, look, dude, join the military, you'll get some education, and you'll travel along the way. Pretty much my exact words were not no, but hell no. <laughs> it was nothing that I, ROTC guys in high school, you know, I had a few of them are friends, but I was like, you know, not my thing, man. But uh, I'll tell you, man, from... From day one at basic training, like I said, at Fort Bliss, Texas, I uh, still remember Joe Sarden Reed um, was like a father figure, man. I, I just realized that I needed that level of discipline. That's what was missing in my life. My dad was a great man, but he was he wanted to be my friend and didn't not as much want to be my dad. You know, he wanted to be out literally smoking and joking with us and doing things that no dad should be doing with their kids. God rest his soul. <laughs> So, I mean, so you join, um, why did you pick 68 Whiskey? Uh, good question. I was at, in college. I was actually going into studying to be a, uh, getting into physical therapy. Hmm. The one class I was good at in high school was anatomy and physiology. Uh, and I just excelled in that environment. I loved it. So uh, it just, when I walked into the recruiter's office and I told him I want to be a 68 whiskey, he said, not with that ASVAB score. You're not. <laughs> so I said, all right, cool. Thanks. I appreciate it. Um, and, uh, by the time I got home, I had a message. My mom said some Sergeant so-and-so called and they said, Hey, guess what? A slot just opened up. We have three slots opened up, you know? So, uh, there was, I must've been the, you know, end of the quota, or close to quota or something like that or whatever. So or the end of the quarter or whatever. 
they just opened it up for me and I got in and uh, just loved it ever since. Yeah. Um, so you initially joined, how many times did you re-enlist? That's a funny, that's actually a very interesting question oh. because my first duty station was Panama, Central America. Uh, I extended for another two years. And right at that two-year mark is where I met my wife. Uh, she's from Panama. We've been married for 30 years at this point. And from there, right next door to my unit, 142nd Medical Battalion, was 3rd Special Operations Support Command, the dudes with the Green Berets. And that was back when even support wore the Green Beret, right? Uh, you didn't have to be tabbed. You just had to be in the unit. And I just always wanted to do that. So my commander made an agreement with their commander that they needed a medic on board. And I was just opcon to them. And th from there, I went to the 18 Delta course. Well, when I went to the 18 Delta course, I had to extend to complete the obligation. So I extended. Long story short, I didn't re-enlist until I had eight years in. Whoa. And so I only enlisted, I only re-enlisted twice. I re-enlisted at eight years. I re-enlisted, I think it was, I don't know if I, maybe, maybe just twice. For sure, just twice. I was thinking maybe just once, but twice I re-enlisted. Um, and that's it, man. To be clear, I didn't get tabbed. Mm -hmm. I I, I uh, had some situations. Let's just say at Robin Sage, I got selected. I went to the 18 Delta course mm -hmm. when I was in San Antonio at the time. That's where the 18 Delta course was at. From San Antonio, once I graduated the uh, Special Operations Medical Sergeant's course, and I did graduate that, then I went to Robin Sage, which is at Fort Bragg, or was it Fort Bragg? And they always change it up every every other year or so. Um, and it was at the uh, Small Unit Tactical Training just before Robin Sage, just before the the last phase. Um, they were going to recycle me, and crap changed in my life at that point. It wasn't. I just saw some stuff I wasn't real happy with, and I voluntarily withdrew. Uh, I declined their extension, their opportunity to recycle. And uh, quite frankly, it plagued me for a long time. It was the one thing that I really, 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 really wanted in my life, and I, I gave up on it. And it was a, it it plagued me for a long time. No, that's understandable, and especially something like that that basically would have, you know, you would have probably seen a little bit more, maybe, and done a little bit more. Well, ironically enough, ironically enough, I, I I went from there. I had myself set up to go to a dust off team there at Fort Bragg. And that was pulled out from underneath me. Do you hear that? Uh -uh. Uh, the F-35s are flying right behind me. I'm out in the middle of the desert in my RV right now. Um, and it's shaking the whole RV. You probably can't hear it if I have my other mic. That's why I'm wearing these, because my other mic would pick that up. Um, they're doing touch and goes out here. Anyway, um, where was I? The uh, What was I saying? Uh, dust off. Dust off. Uh, I was going, uh, it got pulled up from underneath me because... Third of the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment was getting ready to go to Sinai, Egypt, and they needed an E5 medic. So they said, Sergeant Carl Michael, move from over there to over here. In this formation, you're going to the second. And I say, look, dude, I was already been airborne for, you know, four years at that point, three or four years. I already fulfilled that obligation, and, they, and I was going to go do that still with the dust off. But I was like, man, I don't want to go to the second. But, man, that was a good time. I went to the 3504th. I went, immediately went to Sinai, went to Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, um, just all kinds of crazy stuff, man, that I did with them. How, do, you, do you know how many uh, jumps you did while, while in your 36. time span of military? 36. 36. 
Did did you uh, shrink at all? <laughs> you know, I think I'm shrinking now, but I don't think uh, at the time. No, I did pretty fairly good PLFs. Okay. PLFs. Yeah. Yeah, I know we had a prior serve, well, not prior service, but prior enlisted switched to the dark side of officer out, out of uh, where was where 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 do we live at our station at? I think Fort Riley at that time. Yeah, mm -hmm. Fort Riley. And he was a lieutenant now in the 270th armor, and he had over 100 jumps. And he was on painkillers all the time because how much it compressed the spine doing that mm -hmm. many jumps. So it's like, that point on, I was like, I'm never doing airborne. But yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I've done some free fall too, um, but that's a whole different landing. That's a whole mm -hmm. different conversation. <laughs> I, I'll stick to the helicopters and fast roping and rappelling. I will not. Yeah. Yeah. I won't jump out of a plane. Uh -uh. Funny enough, I was when I went to aerosol school, I went after airborne school to aerosol. And I'll tell you, man, that was it's scarier hanging off of a rope than it is jumping out of a plane. At least it was for me anyway. There's no reference. You have less of a reference for the for the descent. Well, I've never jumped out of a plane, so I, I can't say per, I can't say on that. But I, mm -hmm. I will agree that it is kind of a uneasy feeling, especially when the so I went to Rappel Master also. And mm -hmm. in order to graduate repel master you had to you had to kick out four or five soldiers from the bird and you could only hold two mm -hmm. in there because you had the extended fuel tank well so that means that day i went up 23 elevators and repelled 23 times mm -hmm. and by the time I, I i almost fell a few times because i was getting so exhausted and it was hot that day at fort campbell middle of summer and you remember the swiss seats oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> oh, that hurt so bad. I Our was motto so was repel naked. Could you imagine that? With oh, Swiss no. no, no, no. Oh, who came up with that? That's a bad idea. Yes. Uh, I, I was so raw and I was so done after that, but oh, excuse me. So 25 years in, what made you stay for 25 years? So, and, and what rank did you make it up to? I retired as an E8, as a master sergeant. I did some first sergeant time uh, as a E7, actually, um, in a detachment. But um, I stayed in. I actually, after the 82nd, I went to Germany. In Germany, my wife and I sat down, and after seven years of marriage, we sat down and had realized we had physically been together less than three years because of deployments, operate, you know, in-country in operations, schools, you name it. Mm -hmm. So... When I was leaving Germany, I told, you know, um, powers that be, look, I just I just want to get close to home because I'm done. I'm going to be ETS, you know. So I ended up the sergeant major that, you know, he knew some people and I had done some amazing things in Germany as well with a couple of their competitions and different things. So he's like, all right, I got you to El Paso. You're from, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, born and raised. And uh, so I get to El Paso and end up in a fixed facility for the first time in William Beaumont Army Medical Center. The sergeant major there that the other sergeant major talked to, um, uh, Sergeant Major Gerard, he took me under his wing and literally I caught my second wind while I was there. I worked in operations for the entire hospital and I uh, just caught my second wind and he just mentored me and it came to the point to where when I was ready to re-enlist, um, in fact, that's the second time I re-enlisted. I re-enlisted at William Beaumont. The first time I was at Bragg, uh, I... Uh, it just felt, you know, I was like right at that 10 year mark where you're going to decide. And it was at that time when they were changing it to where if you reenlist and you're past 10, it's indefinite, which just means you don't have to reenlist again, which is why I never reenlisted again. So 
uh, I just had my second wind. I, they sent me to battle staff, and I and I went to e, after that. I went to the e, equal after El Paso. Um, I went. I got a call from my branch manager, and she was like, uh, "Sergeant Major," she said, "Hey, would you like to go be an equal opportunity advisor?" And uh, actually, she gave me two options. Would you, Would you like to go to Saudi Arabia to do that mission, or go to be an equal opportunity advisor in Hawaii? Well, I chose Saudi Arabia because it was tax deducted, it was tax free, and I had just done my redux. So I would have gotten all of that money tax free. If anybody, I'm not going to explain all that. If you don't know what it is, look it up. Oh, but, I, I know what it is, but yeah. Okay. I'm, mostly some of your listeners may not know what that is. But anyway, a peer of mine, a guy I knew over the weekend, uh, she said, go talk to your wife about it, see what's up. Over the weekend, one of my peers took the Saudi um, job. So I took the EOA uh, job and went to Hawaii. Right. No, I thought about doing EOA. I did EOL in South Korea. And funny thing is, I was the only white guy that uh, got EOL school. Mm-hmm. Um, but the EOA advisors, like, I don't want to, I don't want my all my classes being nothing but minority. And mm-hmm. there's no reason why every person in your unit is all, you know, minorities. It represents everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so I got sent. And I actually had a lot of fun with that. That, that was, was actually, a good time. I know EOA. EOL is shorter than EOA, but yeah, I did actually, the EOL in Germany too. My commander was like, "Look, dude, coming from 82nd, never working with you know, uh, you know, just coming from that environment into and then special ops and then into uh, Germany, and it was all you know everybody." He's like, "You're going to EOL course," <laughs> yeah. and I, it, it was a fun course. I enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it, it was fun. Some of the arguments people would get in. And, yeah, mm-hmm. but I had a good time. Now, mm-hmm. I only did 14 and a half years in. I got medically uh, retired, unfortunately. Um, I wasn't staying longer, but I was given the option. Uh, yeah. So I was just under that 15-year mark. Um, but, you know, I, I missed the military. I don't miss the running, though. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, was just, I was a cavalry scout the whole time. Uh, I did do recruiting for three years. I checked the box for everything, college, recruiting, instructor, Four deployments to combat zone, South Korea. Um, I checked every box for E7, and then two years after I make E7, I'm gone. It's like, mm. damn. So yeah. you knew you were getting out. How long did you start prepping uh, you and the wife? And did you have any kids at home at that time? Yeah, I had um, two kids still. Two of my three boys still at home when I retired. Uh, and... Um, the oldest, he took off and went to coming in close. I can't even hear myself talking right now. Um, my oldest actually joined the army. Uh, mm. He did six years, and then my middle son's in the navy right now. He's over in uh, Fort. Or the, I always want to say Fort Jackson, but Jacksonville, Florida. He's an airframer. But um, yeah, we, you know, really, I was mentored to the point to where it was like you know, pretty much try to do what you can to be prepared. Like you're preparing from day one is what I would mm-hmm. say to anybody who's listening is getting ready to go in or even where you're at, start preparing for your separation today. Because like in your situation, it may cut, it may be cut short. You may not be able to do as much as you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. But then others say, well, I'm done with this crap. I'm getting out. I'm going to go do something else. Well, what? And to be clear, I really wasn't as prepared as I thought I was going to be. I thought for sure 
that with my all of my experience as an EOA, all of my connections as a master sergeant, working with MedCom and working with all, all the connections I had with everything else, on top of being, you know, just all this different training, I'm a shoot. I wanted to go back and work GS because I wanted to stay with the troops, and I was humbled, dude. I was humbled. I I thought for sure I was going to get you know interview and be done. Right? It didn't work out that way. So I'm sitting at home. We're deciding we're going to leave Hawaii. We had bought a house down there. We're in the process of selling our house. And we're just waiting on my disability to come in. You know, first off, just the decision on what the disability rating was going to be. I've already got the little bit of, you know, retirement, which is about three grand a month. And living in Hawaii, that's like literally nothing, uh, especially with the size of the house that we had. But my realtor at the time, she's like, hey, you know what? You guys are pretty, you're just sitting around really, do I was taking a break, you know? <laughs> and she said, well, you, I got some houses that need to be cleaned and I'll pay you know, like 1,500 to 3,000 per house, depending on the size and stuff and already empty. They just need to be cleaned for the new tenants to come in. I was like, shoot, yeah, we'll do that. We want to turn the radio on and me and more if I get at it. Um, and then I get a call. Uh, my first civilian job was actually, uh, working for the Navy command there in Hawaii as an equal opportunity uh, EEO, GS-12. Um, but don't get too excited because it was only three days a week, which was great. You know, I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and had long weekends, but it was basically GS-9 pay. So it helped a little bit, and I went and did that. Then I ended up getting hired back on, literally sat at the same desk I was at when I retired. They turned a couple... Uh, they 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 incorporated a couple civilian positions. The guy that replaced me called me and said, "Hey, these positions are opening up, and you know this how stuff works." I don't know. You know, some mm -hmm. people say, "Well, that's not that's some bullshit," but I applied for it just like everybody else, and I um, uh, interviewed for it just like everybody else. I had to have all my ducks in a row, and I just happened to have the qualifications and the certifications that they needed, and I got hired on there. And then I left there as a GS eleven. I did that for about three years and I left as a GS-11. Okay. Yeah, that, that was one thing I think was very humbling because uh, I did apply. Uh, through, I think it's USA Jobs now you have to apply for it through. And mm -hmm. I don't even, yep. that, that's, that's such a crap website. Uh, I hate it. Uh, it just sucks. And, and it's nine like, times out of 10, nine times out of 10, by the time <laughs> you see that job pop up there, they already know who they want to hire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I figured right out wrong. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I figured that out real quick because I got out. I was like, man, I got all this stuff. I do have two years of college. And, you know, there's a couple that popped up on the Rock Island Arsenal up there by where I lived in Illinois. Nah. So it's like I just kept shooting my shot and nothing. And then Trump did the hiring freeze, which I, I agreed with the hiring freeze because, you know, the federal government's gotten too big. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, man, just missed out. Whatever. Timing, man. Yeah. And then they did that whole thing where you had to be out for 24 months before you could get hired back on. I want to hear about that one. Yeah, yeah, that all happened too. That happened after my, well, it wasn't a year actually. I think it was 90 days. I think you had to be okay. out for 90. And I was well beyond that point and when I got hired back on the CGS. But and before that, actually, I didn't even get hired. It's before you get hired. I think it was before you get hired back onto the same location or something like that. I forget all the requirements, but you had to have 90 days out before you could get into the GS position. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So that, it, it tried to, re, it tried to eliminate or reduce the folks. Cause I remember when I was at William Beaumont, a master sergeant retired 
from her shop and she came back the next day as a civilian. It was literally that quick. I mean, to, in my mind, it was that any, anyway. But what they did was they eliminated the master sergeant position. And she did this. She eliminated the master sergeant position before she retired and created a civilian position and came back in. That I do not agree with. This was where I came back. It was additional positions because they were expanding. Their their mission expanded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, of course, it all it's always expanding all the time, every, every aspect of the federal government. But Yeah. Yeah. So – uh, you got out, cleaned houses for a little bit, got hired back on. You did that for only three years. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you do now? So now I'm a business strategist. So okay. I started a podcast uh, years back, uh, shortly after retiring, uh, called Men of Abundance. You see it up there. And uh, let's yeah. see. There you go. I did it right. Check yep, that out. I see it. Men of Abundance. Um, from that, it was just a podcast just because I was, I like to lift up other business owners and entrepreneurs and just people living a life of abundance somehow and paying it forward to the community. And I've talked to people like uh, Jay Pep is a co-author of The One Thing. John Lee Dumas was my mentor. He's the one that got me started with this whole podcasting bit. Uh, he's been on there and other people you had never heard of, over 400 conversations. Well, about that's been, that went for about five or six years. About six months in, people started asking me to coach them in living a life of abundance. I was like, I don't know how to do that. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. So enough people asked me to where I decided to hire a coach to coach me to set up a coaching business and, you know, do, put the curriculum together and all that kind of stuff. Well, after I got done with his course, he introduced me to another coach who was a business coach and he coaches business consultants. And he said, dude, you already have business. I've been business entrepreneurial minded since I was a kid. And that's really where I shine. He said, all of your clients are business owners and entrepreneurs, and most of them aren't staying with you longer than three months. I was like, holy crap, are you watching my bank account? What the hell? He goes, no, I've been doing this for a while, dude. So um, I did a bunch of, I, I paid for some white labeling, so I didn't have to build all the courses. I didn't have to do all the videos. I didn't have to do all the quizzes and all that kind of stuff. That's what I used to teach my small business, uh, business owner clients. Uh, and then I do the coaching and consulting. And now I've been doing that for about five years. And now I'm at the point to where I'm coaching and consulting with those who want to build their own business consulting practice. I'll tell you, I have a whole campaign out there that I'll share with you if, you, if you'd like, the specifically for veterans. Mm -hmm. Why am I, the reason why I specifically want to talk with veterans about this is one, because I know veterans, I know their language inside and out, regardless of the branch. I've worked with every branch of military. Um, but a lot of veterans don't realize what they bring to the table. A lot of think, well, what can I bring to the civilian world? I was infantry, I was a scout or whatever. If you're if you, 14 years, even beyond six years, chances are you've got leadership. So you don't understand how to manage people, resources, plan, uh, you know, contingency plans, putting out fires, all that kind of stuff. You bring stuff to the table that most business owners, quite frankly, do not have. That's hard to teach. That comes from experience, years of experience. Most veterans have that. What you, all you need to know now is specific business strategies. And they do kind of vary based on the industry, but for the most part, business strategies are business strategies from foundations, marketing operations, revenue, and turning revenue into profits. It can be taught. I have all the courses already set up for it. So that's why I specifically like to talk to uh, veterans about 
if you're so inclined, because what a lot of veterans do is they come out and they want to be, they want to start a leadership practice. They want to be a leadership coach or consultant. They think they're going to be Jocko Willink in a couple months, failing to realize that Jocko Willink, not taking anything away from his his brilliance and what he did in the Navy, right? But he, who do you th- who, who do you know who backed Jocko in both his his business and his his uh, nutrition line? Oh. Joe Rogan. Mm. So Joe Rogan gave him hundreds of thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, and backed him, right? So that's why he got so big, and plus he had the platform, right? Most most veterans coming out of the out of the military, they don't have that preeminence, they don't have that backing, and they don't have somebody else, you know, promoting them. So what we do is is we have a a system in place to help them. We make them a published author. We give them content. And we give them a team of people to write on the back of. So think about like an attorney who comes right out of school, brand spanking new. And I come to you and I say, I'm, I'm that attorney. And I say, hey, I want to represent you. Well, who have you represented? Well, we have represented hundreds, if not thousands of clients in this particular category. I personally have not, but we have. Well, you need that backing. Again, a lot of veterans come out and they're, oh, I'm going to do it myself. Never knew anything about business, but I'm going to do it myself. Did you do anything on your by yourself in the military? Nope. No. Why the hell do you think you're going to get out and do this by yourself? Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is, right? So start any business. I see it all the time. So I, I really, I have a soft heart for um, veteran business owners because they come out with issues already, some of them. And then they go try to be an entrepreneur and compound on that freaking stress, high level of stress that you put on yourself and your family. And um, you don't have to do it yourself, man. Yeah, definitely don't. That's, you know, before they get out, no matter what branch, you need to start networking. You need to start aligning yourself with what your ideologies and what you think you want to do on the outside. I think the reason why vets are so successful at business is because we are hard charging and we don't give up so easily. We don't quit. Yeah. And we don't quit, but we don't have all the answers, even though we may have been like yourself, you were a master sergeant at one time, a first sergeant. I was a sergeant first class. You got, you know, generals and, you know, okay, maybe generals are a little different. They already got a network of a bunch of rich people, but, you know, lieutenants, captains, majors, you know, sergeant majors blow. We don't have that network. So lean on somebody, have them help you. Don't, you don't need to pay for a bunch of crazy $100,000 programs out there. There's, there's tons of possibilities out there. Just reach out to another veteran and I guarantee you'll find somebody that wants to help you and shop around too. Not maybe your personalities don't clap or don't mix well, or maybe you don't get the message, but you know, there's too much possibility out here for veterans to be coming out with nothing anymore. There's tons of veterans. And that's why I kind of started this podcast. So we can get these stories out, start getting these into the press, start getting more traction and start getting what these soldiers, what soldiers can possibly get on the outside. So they're not left out on the street. I have a brother-in-law that drank himself to death. He kept jumping around at jobs. He kept, he would try to go to college, nothing. We tried to help him. We it just he he wouldn't do it. So he ended up he ended up drinking himself to death and he's also a veteran. So it's just the 22 a day, I think they actually upped the number 
of 20, 22 a day of suicides, it needs to start coming down. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of resources out there. If anything, if you want to be a cement pump operator, go get into, you know, a subcontracting Facebook group, you know, mm -hmm. um, start networking. If you want to get into any vocation out there, there's just so many mentors. And I, I will tell you too, if you want a short shortcut, uh, then spend a little bit of money. All right, but invest it wisely. Do your research uh, because there's a lot of programs out there. I literally just spent uh, the last five days uh, with Grant Cardone's team and yeah. actually got an opportunity to sit down uh, in the in the smaller room with Grant. Uh, but his just his the people that are on his team, wealth of knowledge. But I also connected with a lot of amazing people from around the world, veterans and and you know non-veterans alike, and just made some amazing connections so get out into your community mm -hmm. get to know people let them get to know you and um just you know decide what you want to do and go after it man so how can people uh how can people find you get a hold of you uh your social media handlers and all that stuff yeah everything social media is at wally carmichael just search look at wally carmichael i'm on facebook instagram mm -hmm. linkedin TikTok, Clapper, uh, YouTube. I got a YouTube channel actually that's blowing up pretty good. It's called it's uh, AP Business Mastery. Um, that's my business, AP Bus Business Mastery LLC. And for those veterans who are looking for something that specifically they want a, a message directly from me and their four veterans, it's veteran.apbusinessmastery.com. Uh, just check it out. See you know see what it's worth. I'll shoot straight with you. I do an interview. If I feel that you're not ready for it, I'll straight up tell you, go do this, get some, uh, you know, get some ideas and, and go work with these people. And then maybe at some other point, you can come back if it's still a desire for you. But um, like I said, I'll shoot. I'm not just signing anybody up and getting them started with what I'm doing. That is nice to hear. So because not everybody's cut out to do, you know, what you're teaching and everything. But it's nice to hear that you're not just going to waste somebody's time especially a veteran so yeah, but i'm not I'm, gonna leave you hanging either i'm gonna point you in, in what i think might be a better direction for you that is very nice uh one last question you said you were in a camper where are you in a camper you're not area 51 are you <laughs> oh almost actually we're out on what's called i'm looking for the picture here um i got one that's kind of kind of where we're at um i'm actually out there, there we go. Something like that. That's actually that picture is actually Luke Air Force Base, but we are out in a place called uh, it's the Barry Goldwater Air Force Auxiliary Field. Okay, that's where we're at right now. It's it's about an hour and a half drive from the Mexican border, going down towards um, Sandy Beach. Oh geez, I, is that just all you do? You just kind of travel around, or yeah, for the last year, for the last oh. year we've been. Just traveling around until our, our new home station is uh, done being built. Oh, nice. Uh, that is, that's the future life I want, honestly. <laughs> Just gonna travel around once I get rid of all six of these kids out of the house, which, well, this is only 11, so I got a long way oh, to go. Oh, my goodness, six. Steven, six kids. Bless it's you, military. brother. It's the military's fault, so. Oh, well. <laughs> I got three that once the first two are five years apart, the second two are 10 years apart. So that gives you an idea of how often I was home. <laughs> wow. 
I, I was a humble whole lot. It just happened to be that, you know, just every time my wife sneezed, she was pregnant. There so you it was go. like, pop them out. <laughs> but well, it's a fun lifestyle, and that's partly why I do what I do the way I do it mm -hmm. is, you know, to live the way that I want to live. I don't blame you. I'm going to get there. Uh, I will get there very soon, honestly. So I've met a lot of interesting veterans, and I got a lot of people help, helping me out. I am um, I'm excited about my future and it seems like you got your future all set for the most part and it seems like you're crushing it big time. Yeah, but I'm always improving my foxhole, man. If you want to stay in business and keep moving forward, you have to. You got to. Absolutely. So well, that's all the time we have today on the Swandingo Files with Wally Carmichael, the man, the myth, the legend of men of abundance. Everybody take care and we'll talk again later. Bye. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Steven Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep Swandingoing.